You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Uh, We have been looking at some of the encounters that people had with Jesus in Matthew's account of Jesus' life. And as we go, we're asking the question and talking about what does it look like for us to encounter Jesus in this way? For us to get firsthand knowledge of God's presence and power in our lives. That's been our aim this fall. I've heard some really encouraging stories from some of you. God has shown up in your lives. You've experienced Him in really dramatic and powerful ways. Uh, I also know that some of you are pretty discouraged on that front. Like, you, you want God to be real in your life. You want to feel closer to God, and you've asked for help, and you've asked for Him, but none of that's happened. Not the way you, you hoped it would, anyway. I think that's a challenge in a series like this. We sort of put God on the hook, don't we? You see the encounters that people have with Jesus in the Scripture. You hear stories about people you know experiencing Him in that way. But it isn't happening for you. And so the question for us is, well, what if encountering Jesus, what if the road to encountering Him is just longer and more difficult than we thought? How do we relate to God when it just doesn't come easy? I used to watch this, uh, these series of videos that are just really ridiculous about this bodybuilder named Ronnie Coleman. You ever seen these? He's just an inordinately large person. And he spends all his time in the gym, and he has a whole crew of people that just watch him work out. And the videos are just hilarious, because he's, he's a circus character. I mean, he's talking the whole time. He's got all these phrases, and one of his little phrases is, you got to get deep. And so when he's about to lift, lift some ungodly amount of weight, he'll start pumping himself up, and he'll be saying, you got to get deep! You know, and he's just screaming it. I used to watch these videos with my boys, and so anytime they would start whining around the house about something being too hard... Debbie and I would just say, hey, you got to get deep. And I would, I would go all Ronnie Coleman on them. They, they weren't encouraged or impressed by that. Because here's the thing. I've seen my boys put a lot of energy and a lot of focus into, into something. I've seen them get deep about sports and projects that they've dreamed up, right? The problem isn't that they don't know how to get deep. The problem is that they only want to get deep for certain things, And chores, for example, is not one of those things. I'm concerned that we might treat God in this way. That we might give ourselves lots of focus, lots of time, and lots of energy to things like work and relationships and personal goals, because all that stuff is genuinely hard. And as a result, because we're spent on those things, we don't have time and energy to give to our relationship with God. Functionally, I think it's possible that we might want our faith to come easy. But it's not easy. You got to get deep. The encounter that we're looking at today in Matthew 15, it's a struggle. You've got a woman who comes to Jesus in need, begging for help, but he's, he ignores her. His disciples are rude to her. Jesus, when he does speak to her, is pretty harsh. Most people in this situation, I think, would, would give up. But this woman's feisty. She knows how to get deep. And so we've got a lot to learn about faith from this woman. 
In every story that we've looked at, the issue has been faith, right? But each story teaches us something unique about faith. And the question that we're asking today is, what kind of faith gets through to Jesus when it isn't coming easy? The first thing we're going to see about this woman is that she has desperate faith. Look at verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. The thing that Matthew wants to tell us in this little introduction to the scene is that this woman is not invited to the party. She's not welcome, but she comes barging in anyway. I mean, the whole thing is very inappropriate. First of all, look, look what he's saying here, that they went away, they withdrew, right? They're not even in Israel anymore. They're in a land north of Galilee. This is a retreat. This is a staff retreat, just Jesus and the disciples, right? They're trying to get away from the growing demands of ministry just for a little bit. And so you can see how inappropriate it is for some needy person to come barging in. You ever seen What About Bob? All right, if you've seen What About Bob, then you understand what's going on. If you haven't, that may be the only point of application you need to take today. It's a classic film. You need to watch this movie. Second, look at this. Look where they are. They're in the district of Tyre and Sidon. As I said, it's, it's not in Israel. This is the land of the Canaanites. And if you read through the Old Testament, the Canaanites are always troubled. They're always against the Israelites. And so both Matthew and Mark in their account of this story want us to see that this woman is a Canaanite woman. And so this encounter is thick with racial, religious, and social tension, lots of barriers. Despite all those obstacles, she comes barging in. This text says that she came out and was crying, like came out of nowhere and was just crying. And the word crying always means to be loud, it's shouting, and it's ongoing here. She, She cried out and she kept crying out. She doesn't care about what's acceptable or appropriate. Have you ever seen a parent whose child is in danger? They're hysterical. They're like hyper-focused on one thing and that is saving their child. They literally don't care how they look. They don't care about anything else. She knows that she's not invited. She knows she doesn't have any credentials. That's why she says, Lord, have mercy on me. But she's desperate. Her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. In most of the stories that we've looked at, when people come to Jesus like this in need, helpless, he's he's usually really responsive to them. But not here. Look at verse 22. The woman comes begging, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now verse 23, but he, Jesus, did not answer her a word. He doesn't say anything. Meanwhile, the disciples have something to say. They almost always do. They're pleading with Jesus, heal her, but not for the reasons that you might think. They're annoyed. She's loud. She's a mess. They're on vacation. And so they're saying, Jesus, would you just give her what she wants so she'll go away? And then Jesus replies, verse 24, it's kind of cryptic. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
Jesus has a mission to Israel. Uh, It will include the Gentiles, it will include the whole world at some point, but the question is, in his mind, I think, is, is now the time for that? If he is to heal a Gentile person in Gentile territory, then the whole Gentile world might come rushing in, and his mission to Israel would be diluted. There's an order to things, and this woman is, you know, she's cutting in line. Jesus still hasn't responded to her. It's like she knocked on the door, and Jesus opened the door, but didn't say anything. Said something to somebody in the house, but nothing to her. There's just this awkward silence where, like, the host opens the door, and you're standing there on the porch, but nobody's saying anything. I think most people in her shoes would be confused, maybe offended, and would just sort of like go away, right? Not her. In fact, she comes closer. Look at verse 25. He says this thing about his mission to Israel, verse 25, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. He opens the door and he doesn't say anything, but neither does he say go away. And so she doesn't focus on what's said or not said, she just kind of takes the opportunity to get a foot in. She comes before him and kneels down and says, Lord, please help me. Because where else is she going to go? This is what it means to have desperate faith. It means to have nowhere else to go. No other options. It means to have that mindset that says, God, if you don't do this, then it just isn't going to happen. There's no other way. Perhaps we don't feel desperate because we're deceived by the abundance of options that we think we have. If you want to get in touch with desperation, I'm going to tell you how to do it. Stop thinking about your faith as individualistic, just you and God. Get meaningfully involved in people's lives. Notice, she's not here for herself. She's here for her daughter. The combination of of caring about someone and not being able to control the outcomes in their life, that drives you to Jesus. So this is why we have gospel communities. It's why we sort of make you be in them. Because up to you, you might not do it. It's not comfortable. We want to get you in a group of people who you didn't get to choose and who didn't get to choose you, by the way. We want to get you into some people that might annoy you, whose life might be a mess, because I think over time what happens is you get in the trenches with them, you know what happens? You start to care about them. You start to want to help them, and you start to come to the end of your resources to be able to do that. And you know, all you can do at that point is go to Jesus. This is why we have local partnerships, ministries in our city that you can come alongside and serve with, because we want to get you outside of your normal sphere of life into areas and in situations and with people that might make you feel uncomfortable because when that happens, you get desperate. A lack of desperation is sometimes a sign that we're just not meaningfully involved in people's lives. The kind of faith that gets hold of Jesus, I think, begins with desperation. And really closely related to that Um, that we're going to see in this woman's life is that she has humble faith. It's desperate faith and it's humble faith. Look at verse 26 again. She comes near to Jesus for help. That's verse 25. But then here's where things actually get worse. Verse 26, he says, 
He answers her, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That's a hard saying, right? The Jews have a term for the Gentiles, and it's dogs, because, you know, they're wild and unclean. Now, Jesus uses a different word than they use. They use the word for, like, wild scavenger. I can't say that word, scavenger, wild dog. Um, he uses the word for, like, household pets, like puppies. But let's be honest, if you're talking about a person, any word for dog is insulting, right? This isn't like the Jesus that we've seen. What's going on here? I think to understand what's going on here, you have to see that he's giving her a parable. It's a short one. It's a little metaphor. He is not necessarily explicitly calling her a dog. Uh, He's giving her a metaphor. He's saying, listen, you know how it works in a household. The children eat first, and then the leftovers go to the dogs. The key to understanding any parable is to be able to find yourself in the parable, and then then you know how to respond. And so if she can do that, if she can find herself in this parable, then she'll know how to keep pressing in with Jesus. So that's the challenge. Will she be able to say what Jesus, or accept what Jesus is saying about her in this parable? And of course, what he's saying about her is that in the metaphor, she's the dog, which is to say it's it's not her time yet. She's not invited. She doesn't have a place at the table. You know, the gospel challenges us, everyone, in this way. The gospel is good news, but only for those who see their desperate need for good news. If you gave me a million dollars, that might be good news, right? I mean, it's always good news. But if I'm a billionaire, then it's just kind of okay news. Like, it doesn't really impact my life that much. But if I'm broke, needy, desperate, in debt, it's really good news. Sick people need a doctor, but if you think you're fine, you won't look for healing. Sinners need saving, but if you think you're righteous, you won't look for a savior. If the gospel is to be good news to us, we must see that we are spiritually bankrupt. It's hard words. I think we have a hard time when the Bible challenges our way of thinking or feeling, when it confronts our lifestyle, when it stands in opposition to sort of the cultural flow that we're in, it's hard to hear. It's hard to apply. So here's the challenge for us. Can we accept what the Bible says about us? Look how she accepts the challenge, verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, just stop there. It's amazing how many times Jesus says something to the disciples and their response is, no, Lord, and then they try to correct or come up with some other plan. He calls her a dog and she says, yes, Lord. She's saying, okay, you're right. She doesn't get defensive. She doesn't say, you don't know me. How dare you say something like that to me? She she just says, yes, Lord. This is humble faith. Humility has two enemies. The, uh, the first one is obvious, pride. Right? Pride is thinking too highly of yourself. The second one, though, is trickier to detect. The other 
enemy of humility or humble faith is thinking too lowly of yourself. Right? It, it, be, it becomes something like defeatism, like a woe is me, a self-loathing, a, a sort of giving up with God. Her submission to Jesus, her yes, Lord, is not defeatism. She does not wither up into a pile of self-loathing, introspective mush. Just the opposite. She's about to get real bold with Jesus. What I want you to see before we get there, though, is how she can do that. The reason she can get real bold with Jesus is because she has humble faith. She's not coming to him on the basis of her goodness, but on the basis of his goodness. She's not saying, Lord, help me because I deserve it. She's not saying, Lord, help me, and if you do, I'll be good from now on, I promise. She's saying, Lord, help me, not because I'm good, but because you're good. When faith doesn't come easy, you got to get deep in this gospel. Consider the holiness and the righteousness of God. Consider the depths and the damage of your own helplessness and sin. But don't get defeated. Look to Jesus. Consider his victory over sin. Look long into his life and his death and his resurrection and what he's done for you. That's how you cultivate humble faith. And as you cultivate humble faith, you'll begin to see that God makes room for bold faith with him. Look at verse 27 again. What happens? She engages the parable. She, she even uses the parable to make her case with Jesus. She says, yes, Lord, yes, you're right, I'm unworthy, but even the dogs eat crumbs that fall from the master's table. See how she's getting inside the parable? This is so great. (laughs) She's saying, I see where I fit. I'm the dog, I get it. I'm not worthy, I shouldn't be here. I I don't have credentials, I wasn't invited. But if I'm a household dog, as you say, then I'm in the house. You should let me in. If I'm a household dog in the master's house, then I have a master. You're the master. It's like she's saying, look, I know how this works. The dogs are supposed to sit over here. This is how it works at your house, too. The dogs are supposed to sit over there while we eat dinner, right? After dinner, they get fed. But what happens? The dog makes his way over. Where? To the youngest child's place. Because he or she knows the crumbs are coming. She understands that there's going to be a day when God's promises are fulfilled. But she also sees that the kingdom is breaking in right now, that God is with us. And so if there's going to be that day, can I get a little taste of things to come right now? I just want some crumbs. Think of the woman who tells herself, if I could just touch like the edge of his garment as he walks by. And you know, she does, she gets it. She gets a touch and power goes out for him and she's healed. That's what kind of faith this woman has. We live in these in-between times. The kingdom has come, but it's not yet come in full. 
We are not, and our world is not as it will be. And so meanwhile, there's discouragement. There are hard things. There are obstacles. That's all real. What I'm saying, and what I'm seeing in this woman, is that faith sees through that. Faith looks into the promises of God and begs Him for a taste of things to come. Faith just wants some crumbs. A defeated person could never do that. A defeated person feels so guilty, so ashamed, so discouraged that they become consumed by those feelings. You know, those things sort of just turn us in on self. And that kind of self-focus will never have the courage to be bold with God. This is where some of you are stuck. You're willing to accept that you're helpless, but you're timid about begging and clinging on to God until He helps. And God is showing us in this story, come on. If it's hard, if it's not coming easy, that's just an invitation to come closer and hold on. The challenge of the gospel humbles us, but the invitation of the gospel gives us boldness. The challenge is to take a hard look at ourselves, be honest about who we are, agree with what God says about us. But that's not it. The invitation is to take a long look at Jesus. You know what John said? John said that Jesus came to his own, right? He had a mission to Israel, but his own didn't receive him. And then he said, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be called children of God. Children, sons and daughters, you're in the house, you're at the table by faith. That's the invitation of the gospel. And this woman gets it. She sees herself in the parable. She sees the gospel in it. She's unworthy, but she is loved. She's not too proud to accept what Jesus is saying about her, but neither is she too discouraged to take him up on his offer of crumbs. Here's the last thing. We'll close with this. She has desperate faith. She has humble faith. She has bold faith. And in the words of Jesus, she has great faith. 28, verse 28. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. That's awesome. It didn't come easy, but it came. The tension that has been building between Jesus and this woman is relieved. The the gap between them, they were so far apart, but now they're so close. How can that be? Because faith bridges the gap between God and us. Faith overcomes the obstacles. Jesus says her faith is great. It's terrific. It's wonderful. He applauds it. He hardly ever says this about someone's faith. And so what is it that he finds so marvelous? 
I think it's that she believes in his goodness and his power above all else. Right? That even when he ignores her, even when his disciples are rude, even when he has hard things to say to her, she holds on. She keeps believing. She trusts him. She seeks him. She refuses to believe that he could turn a deaf ear to the cry of faith. It's his goodness, not hers. I don't know why sometimes faith comes easy, right? Right? Sometimes God just shows up when you're not even looking for him. He just does. And at the same time, there are other times where we are crying out, and it's like nothing. Nothing happens. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why God is like that. I don't know why he does what he does. I do know this, that he's good. I know that he won't be silent forever. He won't shut the door, even if he's not talking. I know this because of what he's already done to bring us in, to give us access to God. On the cross, Jesus cried out to God, and the Father answered him not a word. You see what's happening? He's taking our place on the outside. He's being cast out so that we might be brought in. He's being made unclean so that we could become clean. Peter says it this way. He says that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He is the way and the truth and life. Today, as every week, God invites you to his table. He has flung open the doors and he has said, come on in, everybody. I don't care your gender, your race, your credentials, whatever issues are going on in your life. This is the table for my children. Come on in if you're one of mine. And so today, as you come to the table, come with desperation because he is the bread of life. I mean, without him, we perish. Come with humility. Because what this table means is that he had to die for you. His body was broken for you. His blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And come with boldness. Because he's asked you to come. He beckons you to come. To take hold of not the crumbs, but as big a piece as you want to get and eat, and drink, and revel in the glories of the gospel. Let me give thanks for this meal. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.